Amen. Amen. I'm going to read a story for you to start the conversation about the miracle of reconciliation. And it comes from a very specific country of Colombia. We used to have a few Colombians in our midst. Some of them moved back to Colombia. Remember Memo Natalia? There were some others as well. And um, I found this story as I'm studying quite a bit for uh, NTC. And I found this story that I really want to share this with you. It's a beautiful story. So bear with me. It says this. For 52 years, the Colombian government and the Revolutionary Armed Forces of Colombia, they call it FARC, have been at war. The longest-running civil conflict in South America has resulted in the loss of 200,000 lives, innumerable kidnappings and bombings, and the dis displacement of 6 million people. On September 24, 2016, Colombian President Juan Manuel Santos and FARC leader Rodrigo Londoño signed an agreement to end the hostilities. The agreement awaited the public vote to become a reality. Despite the travesties, Sigifredo Lopez, a FARC hostage for nearly seven years, was hopeful that voting for this agreement would initiate a legacy of peace for his children. And he said this, quote, in 20 years, people won't remember that Sigifredo Lopez was kidnapped, that his fellow deputies were murdered, but they will be grateful that they live in a country that is no longer at war, unquote. When the agreement went to the people, the referendum lost by a slim margin. Four years of negotiations ended without a treaty. Those opposed to the proposal were concerned that the perpetrators would see no jail time as part of the negotiated settlement. Another former kidnapping victim, Nohora Tovar, a senator with Oribe Centro Democratico, added, the day that they are behind bars, I will go and forgive, uh, and forgive them and give them my hand. How telling, eh? On October 7, 2016, five days after the failed vote in Colombia, President Santos was awarded the Nobel Peace Prize. The committee applauded the president's steadfast commitment to peace. The press release read in part, it is the Norwegian Nobel uh, Committee's firm belief that President Santos, despite the no majority vote in the referendum, has brought the bloody conflict significantly closer to a peaceful solution, and that much of the groundwork has been laid for both the verifiable disarmament of the FARC guerrillas and the historic process of national fraternity and reconciliation. On Thanksgiving Day, how appropriate, on Thanksgiving Day, November 24, 2016, Two months after signing the first peace proposal, President Santos and Rodrigo Londoño, the leader of the FARC, of the opposition, again stood together and signed a revised proposal that addressed some of the concerns that led to the defeat of the previous proposal. This plan was then sent directly to the Congress for approval. And here it comes. The pen used by both men were crafted from spent bullets. And as they signed the agreement, 
There was a chanting on the streets of many Colombians, yes, you can sign it, yes, you can sign it. Amazing, amazing story of a guy. I didn't even know really the full background. Some of you are South Americans, they might know more about this story than I do. Reconciliation. It's what people need desperately. Reconciliation, the word literally means to bring from a state or from a relationship of enmity, to be an enemy towards a French, to a, towards a situation where there is peace and actually even friendship. And if we look around the world today in 2020, isn't that what the world needs the most? Just think about it. Israelis and Palestinians. Koreans and Japanese, Indians and Pakistanis, Hutus and Tutsis, Afro-Americans and Caucasian Americans, reconciliation. Martin Luther King Jr., he dreamt about it. John Lennon, he sang about it. And the list can probably go on of situations around the world that go well beyond ethnicity, Nationality, what about gender, women against men, men against women? What about sexual orientation, heteros against homos? What about Democrats and Republicans? Nowadays, in certain countries, whatever you're part of, there is nobody's listening to anyone anymore. They just want to make their point. We need reconciliation urgently in a nation also called Australia. We all know the issues. But how? How does reconciliation look like? And for that we turn to the letter to the Corinthians where the Apostle Paul is talking so much about it. I will just give you a very brief idea of what he was writing about. Paul, on his missionary trips, he founded a church in Corinth, which is in modern-day Greece. And in that place, obviously, people were moving out of paganism and starting to serve the God that Paul also knew. But you know, when people come together, you know, it's one thing to believe in God and to live for God and all of that stuff. But when you put people together, that's where the real learning starts to kick in. And there were many situations in, in those days, over 2,000 years ago almost, where this church was struggling with its identity. There was no unity. People were fighting over, uh, over issues. They were following one leader or the other leader. There was even sexual impurity going on there of a scale that we would blush for sure, 2020. Uh, people were abusing spiritual giftings and people were abusing the Lord's Supper and um, not considering poor people. And th there was so much going on there. And all on top of that, the one that founded the church, the Apostle Paul, he tried to maneuver against all of that and, and try to teach them, listen, it's about the gospel. It's about what you once received. And for doing so, you know when the messenger gets shot in the middle of, <laughs> when, you, when, you, when you want to reach out to a, uh, to a community, and instead of listening to your message, what do they do? They shoot the messenger. And that's exactly what happened. 
They accused him of all kinds of things, being a weak person because his physical health was probably not one of the best ones. He had eye issues. He had mother, uh, many other issues. His way of talking wasn't perhaps so convincing as many other Greek philosophers had. And they thought, like, who are you to teach us anything? And it's in this context that he starts to teach them and to re-educate them about the consequences of the gospel. That's where reconciliation comes into play. And then in that particular situation, we read the following verses, and you will see them on the, on the screen as well. It says, as of verse 16 of chapter 5 of 2 Corinthians, it says this, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. Now, all things are of God, who has reconciled us to himself, Jesus Christ, and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, that God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not imputing their trespasses to them, and has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us, we implore you on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. For he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. So hear the scripture. Now the big question that I just want to lay out here is simply this. Keep this in mind all throughout what I'm going to be saying. What does the Bible, and specifically this passage, mean by reconciliation? And why does it matter so much for today? I'm going to be making five points. All right? So point number one that I want to make when it comes to reconciliation is that reconciliation, you know, being moved from a state of enmity to a state of friendship, restoration, that reconciliation changes your perspective vertically. Let me repeat that. Reconciliation changes your perspective vertically. It starts with your relationship with God. Let me just read chapter, uh, uh, no, actually verse 16 one more time. It says this, Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. Even though we have known Christ according to the flesh, yet now we know him thus no longer. You know, instead of looking at Jesus as of hearsay of a nice story from the Bible of a man that lived 2,000 years ago and died somewhere on a cross where you might have heard, you know, the, all the stories from perhaps Sunday school or whatever it might have been, um, that is not the way the Corinthians nor us should be knowing Jesus Christ. Not according to the flesh. That means not according to just appearances. 
The Corinthians, they heard about Jesus as Paul was preaching to them, and they started to understand something like, wow, this man on the cross is not just a nice story in the Bible, which they didn't have at that time. They didn't have their New Testaments as we do. But they understood something, and something started to click that involved their own lives and their own relationship with God. Instead of seeing Jesus just as a man like that, some sort of religious figure, they started to understand that what Jesus did there on the cross was all about love. Love. Remember, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. And you know the rest of it, of course. But here's my question. Often when people that don't necessarily know God, hear that scripture. Do you think they see the love of it? When they see um, uh, the Son of God hanging there on a cross. The famous theologian, he's very well known, he's from Britain, Tom Wright, he wrote this, and I think that's very, very telling. Many people read, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. But you know what they actually hear? They hear something like this. For God so hated the world that he killed his own son. That's a very different way of looking at it, right? Because think about it yourself. For those of you that are parents, who would kill your own son or daughter here? I don't think there's anyone in the room would even fathom that. And for many people, they might say, like, well, you know, this whole story of Jesus dying on a cross they sometimes even call it cosmic child abuse. There are people literally saying, I've heard people saying that. It's like, you know, I cannot see the love in that. As a matter of fact, for years when I wasn't a Christian, I was looking at this Jesus at a, on a cross from hearsay when I didn't fully understand it, and I couldn't see the love of it. But it wasn't until the moment that I started hanging out with one particular Christian I shared, I think, that a couple of times with you. Somebody that led me eventually to the Lord. And in a group of a couple of teenagers, not from a church background or anything, they were just discussing what the gospel was all about, what reconciliation was all about. You know that little story of you standing in front of an abyss, of a chasm? It's like, how do you get to the other uh, end of, the, of the, the mountain, so to speak? There is a chasm in between. If you want to get on, onto the other side, which is we have a relationship with God, what do you need to do? You need to cross, and the only way to cross it is by receiving Jesus in your life. Now, I will be honest with you. When people were explaining that to me, I didn't necessarily fully understand everything they were saying. There are, no, there are a couple of Greek people here. It was a bit of Greek to me. Might have been a bit of Mandarin and Korean. I don't know. They were talking a language with evangelical terms that I thought, like, oh, what are they talking about? But it wasn't necessarily that that convinced me to understand, hey, God is real and God loves me. It was their own unity. I saw something in their eyes. I saw something in their expression that I thought, like, hey, there is something there, and I know very well there is something missing here in my own life. I want that. And that was the moment that I knew Jesus Christ, not just according to the flesh, according to just appearances from hearsay or just a story, I actually started to getting to know Jesus as a loving God 
which is a very different thing. So our reconciliation changes our perspective vertically. We started looking at God in a very different way. Number two, point number two, is that reconciliation also changes your perspective of yourself. Because remember, when the moment you are born, all kind of stuff might happen to you. The way you were raised, the good stuff, also the, the bad stuff, the scars that you carry with you, and all of that stuff you kind of put together, and you kind of make that your own story. The way you look at yourself and how you make sense of life on the whole. Nobody can see that, but that's the little inner voice that is telling you certain things. And ever since we were born, that little voice is not in line what God is saying about us. So when we look into the mirror, let's say you're not a Christian, you don't know God, and you look into the mirror, you might be a good person, you might be doing uh, great things, but then still you look into the mirror, and what are the things that you usually see? The things, the, your defects, the stuff that you don't like. And that's not just physically. That's also in your interior being, who you are from the inside. It's amazing that reconciliation changes all of that. As a matter of fact, God, through Jesus Christ, he started to change something. And he starts actually restoring that which was lost. The identity that was lost because of what Adam and Eve did wrong as they were created in his image to be light bearers, to be his children, is being restored. And that's why Paul can say in verse 17 and also in verse 21, I will read it again. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. All things have passed away. Behold, all things have become new. The thing is, you need to believe it. You see, for many, many years, many people have heard a gospel, a good news version, where they think it's just about, well, I'm forgiven, and one day I will go to heaven. And even though those are the important elements of the gospel, how does that change your identity? Just to know, okay, I'm forgiven, and then just move on with life. You know, there are many people that know that they are forgiven, but in their identity, they're still t saying things about themselves that God isn't saying. But when we see, when we look at ourselves, and we actually see, like, you know what? I'm a son, I'm a daughter. God is pleased with me. And instead of listening to those little voices of like, yeah, but remember what you did yesterday? You were not so nice to that and that person. Instead of listening to that voice, you listen to God's voice that's saying, I am very well pleased with you. You see the temptations that Jesus had to endure from Satan. It's like, uh, well, if you're the son of God, then do this and this and this. Those are the very well, the same temptations that we have to face ourselves. And to be ordered to live from our identity and to say, like, you know what? Instead of embracing my version of the story that makes sense to my life, I start to embrace his story about me. Even though in my walk and my way of thinking, I cannot see everything of that as of yet. We are still work in progress. 
I often tell people, don't beat yourself up. Don't be too hard on yourself. That's not being fake or looking the other direction, knowing very well that there is so much stuff inside of your heart. It's simply a reality like, you know what, I'm going to live from this place. If God tells me I'm his son, I'm his daughter, that's the place I'm going to be living from. If not, I will always try to compensate and try to feel love, whether it's by people or whether it's by God. And, you know, the tragedy of it all is, is you are already loved. It's already a done deal. It's already settled. It's as if you give your old ID card. You know, sometimes you have those old ID cards with pictures that don't look so good anymore. Some people, they have ID cards or passport pictures from 10 years ago when they first renewed their passport. And they look now and they're like, well, I don't exactly look like this anymore. And that, 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 that stained identity card, you're giving it to Jesus. Like, you know, Jesus, I am receiving your identity. I am receiving your righteousness. You have done everything right, and I can live from that place. That's why in verse 21, Paul can say this. For he made him, who? Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become what? The righteousness of God in him. That's a big deal. That means that those little voices of you're not worthy enough, you're not loved, you're not, and then fill in your blank, whatever it might be, those are lies from the devil. Those are lies that are trying to keep people away from the fact that they can live from their new identity. That brings me to the third point. And this is a tricky one. Reconciliation changes your perspective also horizontally. So we first had, it changes our perspective vertically. It changes our perspective of ourselves. And now point three is reconciliation changes our perspective horizontally with people. Because what did Paul say in the very beginning of this passage we were reading? Therefore, from now on, we regard no one according to the flesh. It means like we don't look at people just at their appearances. You know, people are so good, and I include myself in this very much, in making snap judgments like this. You see a person, they might be looking a bit funny, might be doing a bit funny or, or, or in a very odd way, and immediately in your mind, you kind of make a judgment call on that. Have you ever done that? Of course, nobody's going to raise their hands. I get it. But the thing is, we're all prone to it. God is trying to unlearn some things, obviously, in our way of being. Because we shouldn't be regarding anyone to the flesh just by appearances. Does that mean just Christians? No, of course not. Nobody. So there might be a, a, a person from another religion, whatever it might be. We might not agree with the purpose religion with the other person's religion, that's fine. But it shouldn't be then all of a sudden it's like, oh, you're such a person, you believe in that kind of stuff. And you place the judgment upon that person. That's not for us to do at all. And that's not just with religion. It's with, with all kind of things. I already mentioned some of you. For instance, when you look at me, what do you see? Do you see just a pastor? Do you see a white European? 
do you see, I don't know, just a tall man? Those are just characteristics. And in it themselves, they're not, they're not bad. But they said that's the only thing we see, and we look into our through our lenses and say like, oh, that's a, oh, that's a, that's an Asian. Yeah, they're a little bit funny with certain things, and th- those are the Greeks over there. You know, those Greeks. Ah, I wonder how they don't create all of them diabetes with so much sweet food there all the time, eating and stuff, and like you know, and uh, and those Aussies over there, they have such a fun. They talk all the time from the inside, and I don't understand one word of what they're saying. It sounds funny, doesn't it? But here's the thing. There are, there, there's good part. There's neutral stuff in this. But sometimes in our way of looking at people, we look sometimes through filters that are not so healthy. And all of a sudden when we look at each other horizontally, things can go easily out of hand. And I think that's a lot of the stuff that's going on all around the world. Which brings me to my fourth point. Reconciliation is impossible without God making a move first. Let me repeat that. Reconciliation is impossible with good God making a move first. Verse 18 and 19 says this. Now all things are of God who has reconciled us to himself through Jesus Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is... That God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, not in putting their trespasses to them. And it is in this part that we get so much into trouble. If this relationship is so-so, if we the way we look at ourselves and identity is like I have kind of embraced it, then usually in the area of reconciliation between people, things can easily go out of hand. I will give you a serious example, and I will give you a silly example. I will start with the silly one. What about family having dinner? And this is a reality for us very much. And all of a sudden, either me or Janini said, like, so who is the time is it to do the dishes? Because that's one of those chores that one of the kids need to do. And before you know it, people are, you know, brothers and sisters, they are fighting with each other. I see Christine already looking like, yeah, this is, this is so true. And they're already fighting with each other over, no, 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 I did it yesterday, and you will do it tomorrow, and I cook today, and you will cook tomorrow, and, you know, and, and, and before you know, there is a confusion. And sometimes then it leads to other kind of things where things suddenly of the past come up, and you wonder where it came from. It's interesting and that it even can lead to a, to a point that people are like, well, I will give you just a silent treatment. They won't say it that way. As a matter of fact, they won't say anything. It sounds silly, doesn't it? But this interpersonal relationship stuff, whether it's in the best families, that sometimes those, those seeing people eye to eye, it can go south very easily. I have now a very serious example as well. I got it from a pastor back in Brazil. It was a Jew with his family that um, immigrated to the United States. And as soon as he arrived in the United States, just after the World War, we all know the story, of course, what happened. He told his family, as soon as we start living our new lives here in the United States, let me just do one thing first. I forgive Adolf Hitler. 
At which point his whole family was looking at him, thinking, are you crazy? Do you know what this dude just did to us, to our families and all of its stuff? You see that reconciliation in human terms is completely impossible. There will come times when you look at people and it's so hard to see them eye to eye for what he or she might or might not have done to you. Remember the story in the beginning about Colombia? One host, somebody was taken hostage, like, you know what, I wanted to get it over with. I want my children to live in peace. Because where will it end? Where will justice be actually served? Whereas another, and he was a senator, said, like, no, 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 no. First justice, and then we can talk about reconciliation. You see, it's our choice to leave the past for what it is. I have many situations in my life, and I'm pretty sure you had as well, where you might have had all the rights in the world to withhold forgiveness or say, like, you know what, reconciliation, I'm not going for that route. It's just too painful. But it won't change, does it? The past won't change. It is what it is. But it is our privilege today to live the present in freedom from people. I think these Jewish men actually understood it. The fact that he forgave Adolf Hitler had nothing to do with Adolf Hitler. The man was dead already. It had to do with Adolf Hitler inside of his mind. So like the only way for me to live in freedom is to let go of that and unchain whatever is chaining me at this point. This example comes very close to home for me. From my mother's side, many of them, I shared it with Ron the other day, many of them were sent to concentration camps and they didn't come back. Just my grandfather and his brother. In my family, talking about Germans, particularly with the older generation, that would spark up a very good conversation. But the younger generation, they look at it now today and say, like, you know, are we going to continue living this way, looking at people that way? I don't think it will help much, will it? So God had to move first. Because remember, even though human beings had offended him first by sinning, they were unable, un in, they were not in the capacity to make a move back towards God. So God had to move first himself. What did he do? He reconciled us with himself. Through whom? Through Jesus Christ. He is literally saying, you know, I am not keeping a track record all the time of all the stuff that you have been doing wrong. And that's not just Christians. That's the entire world. So if God is not doing that, how much more so should we also not be keeping track records of those people around us that might not even know Jesus Christ? Or they might know Jesus Christ, but they're not living from their identity. They're living from the wrong place of self. You know, people will not always do you right. They won't always do you right. They will say sometimes things that you afterwards think like, oh, where did that come from? You see, reconciliation is a miracle. We can try to make things work. Remember the, the conflict between the Israelis and the Palestinians? Do you think just by putting some things down on paper, that's going to create peace over there? It will require a miracle where God will need to intervene, and one day he will. In many families, we have our crosses to bear. 
I remember very well a couple of years ago in both of our families actually there were situations going on where one party thought they were right and they simply thought that the other party was wrong and they were very strong in their opinions about it even till the point that they didn't see each other eye to eye for for years on end in her family most of them being Christians brothers and sisters they were able to reconcile it obviously by the grace of God in my family one of them was a Christian the other wasn't my sister came to me the one involved like listen we have this situation there is a rupture of, of you know there's no relationship going on anymore what do I do it's like well you can try to expect that she will try to come to you and ask for forgiveness and stuff but don't forget she's not a Christian here you might think that, you know, if you want to have justice and stuff, that you wait for her to move. Well, newsflash, she won't. She probably won't. But in order for you to be free of whatever might be holding you in your mind, the only way that you can do is to extend the grace to her. You see why people are deeply afraid of that is because they still want them to control the outcome of what is coming out of that. Because they say, like, well, I will forgive you, but then I want you to be like this and this and this. It doesn't work that way, does it? Did God treat you that way? It's like, oh, I, I will forgive you, but now you need to man up or you need to woman up. He didn't, did he? He simply is like, you know what? I know you cannot save yourself. I know you cannot even help yourself. What I will do is I will come myself in the person of his son, Jesus Christ, and put all that stuff that you and I did wrong, and he placed it upon his son. Not out of an act of hatred towards you thinking you're such a mess up. As a matter of fact, he looks at you and he's like, you know, you're my beloved child. He's looking at everyone in the world. He's like, you know, these are my children. It doesn't necessarily mean that they will recognize that. Obviously, they need to still turn and start putting their trust, what, not in themselves, but in God. Very important to understand. And that leads me to my final point. Reconciliation also becomes our mission to the world. It's a responsibility. It says this, the last part of verse 19, And he has committed to us the word of reconciliation. Now then, we are ambassadors for Christ, as though God were pleading through us. We implore on, your, on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. Remember the Corinthian situation? Johnny fighting with Peter. Th they were all fighting with each other over the wrong reasons. And he said, like, listen, you know that when you... When this started to stop working out and you had a relationship with God and he gave you his identity and you are a new creation, it means that it has also an effect on the relationships around us. And not just that in a nice church setting where people are just clapping and are happy and all of that stuff. It means also in the world out there. God is calling you and me to be an ambassador. It means that you and I, we represent God. Does he need that? No, he doesn't. But he chooses to do it. Why? Because it's an incredibly strong testimony to the world that God doesn't just exist, but that he deeply cares for people. 
When I look at people here, I see people from many different nations, many backgrounds. And we would have all the rights in the world to not understand each other because we come from cultural differences. But guess what? If we understand reality of what's happening here horizontally through the eyes of what God is doing, his kingdom, we start looking at each other very differently. We start to do the one and others a lot better. We start to bear each other's little, you know, interesting stuff that we might be saying or doing in a very different perspective. We start to encourage one another, pray for one another, having patience with one another, all that one another stuff. That's why you cannot do just church by yourself. You know, a lot of people, they would like to have just this, but not this. And it is in this process that we actually are being shaped as well because we simply have to deal with each other. It doesn't mean look the other way and thinking like, well, it's a truth for now. Well, I'm faking it for the rest. As a matter of fact, I don't even like you. It's so fake. And people see it. But when people can see each other eye to eye and they understand like, you know, what we might be very different from each other. Our skins might look different. Our upbringing might be different. The way we understand the world might be a bit different. But one thing we do have in common, it's the blood of Jesus Christ. We're not just forgiven. We're not just reconciled. We have a new identity in him. And that gives us a very big responsibility. It was that unity among Christians that convinced me to become one. When I saw my brothers and sisters, they were my age, 17, 18 years old, from very different uh, religious backgrounds. One very reformed background, the other super happy, clappy Pentecostal. Doesn't matter. Because that is what didn't matter in the end. They loved each other. And that reminds me of what Jesus said himself just before he was crucified. He said this. And it's a prayer for all of us here as well. My prayer is not for them alone. I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they also be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as, as we are one. I in them and you in me, so that they might be brought to complete unity. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. People can see it. It's real. And that's what the world needs to see. If we think that we can set each other straight because we have a different opinion about certain things, we probably haven't understood this first. It starts here. God looks at you, and he, of course, he sees the differences, but he still says, you're all my children. I love you so much. In closing, simply this, and I have just a few questions just for you to reflect upon. Can you receive God's forgiveness? Remember, he has already forgiven. He's not keeping that scorebook like, oh, you did this wrong. But can you receive it? 
That's a very important question to ask yourself. Some people cannot even forgive themselves for stuff that they wish they hadn't done in the past. You think God is not great enough to even forgive that? Of course he can. Let me ask you another question. Are you trying to seek reconciliation on your own terms? You know, some people, they understand reconciliation, but they think revenge. <laughs> they think, ah, if I have my justice, then we'll be fine. Is that reconciliation? I don't think it is. And then finally, can you be part of God's team, his church? How important it is to gather together, not just to sing some songs, but we're actually learning to do the one another's together. I call the church God's big laboratory, where he's smiling at, uh, at our funny little things that we sometimes say to each other. And he knows that we have work in progress. But if you can be part of God's team to extend that reconciliation to the people around you, I think then we are on the right track. Reconciliation is impossible. It takes a miracle. We cannot do it in our own efforts. All the cries for people to say, like, you know what? Can something be done about so much injustice? You know what those cries are? They are cries for love, to be accepted, to be seen. It's not going to help us to try to change people's mind just by, you know, putting them in an arm lock or something. And like, and now you need to see it from my way. It's not going to work. The only way, that's not how God treats us, by the way. He, he doesn't force himself upon us. He is wooing us through his spirit. I believe that in this kingdom, in this life, we won't see everything as of yet. There is still much brokenness out there. But he is calling you and me to be that ambassador. Amen. Shall we pray? I will ask the musicians to come. take some time to pray perhaps while I was preaching there were some names or images of situations where you realize like you know what I need to come to terms with this and as confronting as that might be please know that you're secure in God's arms right now and all he wants you to do is actually give up things that you were never created for in the first place so that you can receive that which he made you for. To live from an identity of a son and a daughter. The process also to become his ambassador. And we can only come become his ambassador when we have embraced that. So Heavenly Father, we pray in Jesus' name this moment that as you are stirring in our minds, in our hearts, perhaps a lot of things through this message. That first of all, we can see your love for what it really is. Not just a story of a man hanging on a cross, but it's something that is very, very personal for each and every one of us here. There are perhaps people here in the room that don't know you that way, Father. I pray in Jesus' name that you will reveal yourself as a loving Father. Not just of a Father of hearsay, of some stories from the past, but somebody that is deeply concerned right now. 
Father, perhaps there are people here that are in prison because they cannot either forgive somebody or not even themselves, Lord. Perhaps the utterance of prayer is, is, is a very simple one or they don't even know where to find the words, but you know what is in their hearts. I pray, Holy Spirit, that you will make it a reality in their lives, Father. And help us, Father, as Dianella Church of the Nazarene, as a community that walks together, as messy and as imperfect as it is, to be ambassadors of the great King of Kings, Jesus Christ. We thank you so much for loving us. And as we sing this song, Make Us One, Lord, let it be that we can sing, understanding what you're doing in our midst, Lord, mm. and that we can be vulnerable, first of all with you and perhaps with people around us as well, Lord, where we perhaps have put up some walls. Father God, you break down walls of division. It's what the world needs so badly. And as such, we pray it in Jesus' name. Thank you. Amen. Shall we all stand as we worship one more time?